Welcome to Cobra Kai Never Dies. Today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 5, Miyagi-Do. I'm Nina. I'm Letha. And once again, we are your hosts. We are your guides. Week this... after week, the same hosts. Yeah. Yeah, we don't mix it up so much. But you know, this episode is very dense. And I was yes. actually shocked by how much happened in like 35 minutes. It's, it's fitting, actually, because we're halfway through Season 3 now. And it's about goddamn time something happens. And a whole bunch of things happen. Um, Netflix synopsis. In Okinawa, Daniel spends time with an old friend and an old enemy who has much to teach him. Dueling Dojo's rivalry comes to a nasty head. Yeah. Okay, Netflix. <laughs> right. Netflix does not do it justice. There are, we just counted, there are four main plots in this episode. There's Johnny and Miguel's plot, um, Daniel and his old enemy, as, as the summary actually alludes to. There's, there is the Miyagi-Do versus Cobra Kai dojo plot. And then there's another Robbie and Juvie plot. There's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Should we just start with the Okinawa stuff? Because I feel like once we get back stateside, there's just a lot going on. Yeah. Okay, let's start um, with that. So we, what struck me about this was I didn't realize just how essential watching Karate Kid 2 was to understanding anything that happens in season three. Like, I mean, even we, we admittedly don't have the best memories of Karate Kid 2, but it's like the references to drum technique, um, everything that happens with Chosen, which again makes no sense. Kumiko, the freaking random orphan tornado child makes I know, an appearance right? it's like it's confusing we so uh we definitely like i'm so glad we watched karate kid too i'm so glad that we did that like just because we suffered so we, we suffered be here today and you know what we had no idea that it would figure so heavily in this episode which like starts with a flashback to the best scene in karate kid 2 which is of course chosen it's a zip line. Line. yeah it's, a, it's good that they um excerpted just that because like there's really no other part of karate kid 2 that like is memorable well they talked they did have that fight scene um and like drum technique so we actually understand do you understand how drum technique applies no they shake the drum and then what like daniel throws some punches i have no idea I was what watching drum that technique fight scene is and i was like what am i missing um but anyway yeah we get that flashback and it's I'm... weird because like in the flashback uh chosen zip lines in and he's like has a knife to kumiko's throat yep it like it's interesting because like uh, you know, chosen like when you see him in flashback, you you remember like he's not a Japanese Johnny. Do you know what I mean? He's not like a school bully or something. He actually does zip line in and takes and take Kumiko hostage essentially. But they're buds now. How, like how the fuck did that happen? Yeah, because see, like he's there because Kumiko like called him in. He was like she was like chosen. You gotta like talk to Daniel's son. He's in a funk, and it's just like yeah, okay, I guess uh, they. Buried the hatchet somewhere. I think Chosen has had a lot of therapy. Yeah. I think Chosen has... I mean, you can just still tell that he's... There's this great scene where, like, it's um, Daniel and Kumiko and Chosen, and Chosen is, like, the awkward third wheel, and they're all just... Here we are this... again, yeah. I loved it because it, it kind of harkened back to some of the scenes in season one, you know, where, like, Johnny comes over to challenge, like, uh, Daniel to a fight and they end up having breakfast. You know, it's like, what do you do when you take, like, an epic 80s rivalry and you translate it to being, like, middle-aged? When you, like, translate it to the venue of, like, two men in Hawaiian shirts at a table. By the way, like, listeners, if yeah. anyone can figure out what shirt Chosen is wearing... And tell me where to buy it. It's a great shirt. Be my best friend. <laughs> I, I've decided that look 
is my post-pandemic coming out once I get the vaccine. It's that Hawaiian shirt. It's middle-aged Japanese man. Sure. Book. Yeah, okay. That's the energy yeah. I'm bringing in. All right. I like it. Because <laughs> Daniel is like... Also wearing on... a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. And he's in beautiful Okinawa. It's just... Yeah. It looks lovely there. And... um you know, we uh, we get like some scenes where like Kumiko's like, uh, I'm gonna peace out now. And Chosen, you can just show Daniel yeah. around. Yeah, and Chosen so. is a little light on his personal details. We find out he never married, he doesn't have any kids, and then Daniel makes a very awkward reference to Seinfeld being a master of his own domain. Which, if you watch that episode of Seinfeld, it's that's about masturbation. It's about so masturbation. It's weird. So, it's weird. Yeah, um, classic but again, Daniel. This did seem to me like this perfect, like yeah, no, you, it's just I, I love what this show does with really awkward moments. Yeah, Kumiko yeah. is too cool for this. Yeah. She's not going to sit around and babysit Daniel anymore. She's done. She's like that. She's got things to do, so she pieces out, and it's just chosen and Daniel on their own special journey together. Yeah, and they're uh, you get some scenes where like. They're reminiscing, well, not exactly, basically, like, uh, Chosen's like, what do you know of karate? And, like, you know, uh, Daniel is... not an unfair question, Yeah, right? So Daniel recounts, like, the Miyagi dojo mythology, which I don't even want to get into. It's kind of stupid. But, like, basically, like, Daniel's like, I know all about this. And Chosen's like, no, you don't. And, like, uh, brings him to his beautiful, beautiful dojo. Shows him some secret, like, Miyagi scrolls. And when when Daniel like reaches out his greedy grubbing hands, like Chosen snaps back, like "No, you're a foreigner." Which thank I you, love, Chosen. Yeah, I love that Chosen has like is a real sensei and has a real dojo and real students, and it's not he's not like play acting being a karate <laughs> teacher like Daniel, who's like Daniel's just like mindlessly his psyche is grabbing out for any reference to Miyagi, and it's that it's I felt like I saw his id where it's like. Miyagi things must have right. <laughs> and he's he's willing to fight and get his ass kicked for it I mean yeah because like of course Chosen isn't just there to accuse Daniel of cultural appropriation he really wants like to you know have like Daniel to fight for these scrolls so like it's they have this interesting like pretty well choreographed but also just somehow very silly fight because they're both like just middle-aged and going at it but like you know, the voiceover is, like, Chosen saying, like, their secrets Miyagi never told you, you know, and, like... And they're... it wasn't an illegitimate child. I'm uh, sorry. I know that, like, hurt you, The but... dream dies. No, the secret... Well, like, it's funny, because the voiceover is all about how, like, karate's... Karate's not just defensive. Like, you know, in, in old times, like, the Okinawans, like, had to defend their home against Japanese invaders. They had to be ready to kill... And we're like, whoa, so like there's an offensive Miyagi karate somewhere. Is that what's happening? Um, but uh, it turns out the secret to Miyagi, I can say it right, the secret? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the secret to Miyagi, though. Yeah. It's pressure points, which is kind of neat. Like, you know, you, like, if you've ever watched, like, I don't know, any Japanese anime, it seems to, like, you know, you. Was that where you thought he was going with this? Because when um, Chosen says defense takes on many forms, I was like, Oh, that sounds like a crease lesson right there. Right? I was like, how many people has Chosen killed right. in the intervening years? I mean, we don't, we still don't know. But, like, it's a nice little twist on it in that, like, you know, the pressure point thing. Like, that's when you touch somebody somewhere and they, like, go. Oh, now they can't move their arm. Now they can't move their leg. And it's, it's like a temporary paralysis thing. And, you know, the way Chosen um, puts it is that, like, well, if somebody is determined to fight you, you make it so they can't. And so it both seems like, oh, it's a sophisticated defensive technique. But, like, let's be honest, you could probably... Fuck someone up pretty badly Can with that. Yeah. A little aside about what this means for. But I was thinking about the start of the episode where they start with the flashback and 
you know, chosen ziplines in and he's got murder in his eyes. And Miyagi says to Daniel, this isn't a tournament. This is for real. So he was kind of like, do what you got to do to stay alive. I guess I'm not going to do much. I'm just going to like, I know I'm going to shake this drum at you, but you're on your own, bud. And it's like when we watch Karate Kid 3, which is after the second one, after he saw a chosen threat in his life, like the, the kind of running side plot was like how uninvolved Miyagi was. It was like, Daniel had very legitimate reasons to get trained for this tournament where these bullies were, like, threatening his life. Yep. And And Miyagi was like, "Eh." "Eh, I'm not really a tournament guy so much. It's very weird. So this is a good... uh, I'd like to do a spin-off episode with you one day just called, Is Miyagi a Terrible Sensei? Because there's a lot of stuff. He is, like, it's a complicated psychological portrait of a man that's like, I care about you, but, but you know what? If some people are threatening your lives, all I can do is yeah. Quite honestly, I, I sort of forgotten that like Miyagi, like when chosen zip lines in with a knife to someone's throat, Miyagi's like, well, you know, this is for real, Maybe kid. Like, Good luck. It's like Miyagi, you're a karate master. Shouldn't you be doing something? And also, it's weird. It's like he only intervenes when it's taking place right in front of his eyes. So Miyagi eventually like defends Daniel against Terry Silver and Crease when he's there to witness. Kind of an imminent murder. But I, strange is the pressure points thing is a defensive technique. And it's, I don't know how long it takes to understand it, but it's like, it's something that would have saved Daniel. Daniel, who can't really fight, you know <laughs> this, is probably not going to get much better at karate. Just teach him how to defend himself. That's yeah, true. Miyagi Mia, apparently knew it all along. It seems like that it would have been. That is such a dick move. Right. <laughs> um, I love that, actually. Oh, yeah. And I love, uh, so I kind of saw this coming, but I don't care. It, it was nice. Like, the end of the chosen Daniel fight in Karate Kid 2 is, of course, like, Daniel's got him and, like, the final blow is coming and he asks Chosen, live or die, man, live or die. And Chosen, you know, says, die. And then Daniel just honks his nose, which is the way that Miyagi's fight uh, with Kreese, like, went at the beginning of Karate Kid 2. It's really a wonder that Daniel was alive. They love the callback here. I really, I mean, I think of all the ways that Because of the honking of the nose? No, I mean, if it was, like, yeah... Well, you know, I mean, you know, obviously in this episode, Chosen gets him back by, like, he's got him in, like, a, a death hold, and, you know, and then when Daniel's fearing for his life, he goes in to honk Daniel's nose, and he breaks into such merry peals of laughter that yeah, I was just Chosen's happy just be to all see right, Chosen all right. You know? Yeah. But, Chosen uh, somehow, like, went from... It's weird, because it's, like, obviously he and Daniel, like... He honks Daniel's nose. They all laugh together. You know, they uh, he gives Daniel the scroll. They're like, you know, best buds when they part ways. And, you know, Daniel's like, if only every rivalry could end this way. Um, obviously thinking about him and Johnny. But what's perplexing about this is that, like, again, Johnny was like a bully to Daniel. Chosen was like a homicidal maniac. Yeah, yeah there's some, like, lines that you can't come back from. And I feel like, especially for Kumiko, maybe she's just, like, the most forgiving person on Earth. I would be like... I'd want a restraining order and, you know, glad you got some therapy chosen, but yeah, there's he, no he held really a knife to her throat. There's no yeah. going back from That's weird. I mean like super strange. Yeah, it's super strange. And then of course like but okay, that's that's chosen's big Do you like his kind of like arc? Because I assume this is like probably the last time we're gonna see yeah. him. Um I mean it's fine. Honestly, like I would hate if I didn't really want to see uh, Chosen come back and like you know challenge Daniel to the death again. So he said he felt great shame after the fight, and I wanted to him to be like, 
you know, and I went to therapy and I thought about why did I attack you? And why was I so invested in that onion store? Right. And we got no answers really about what was driving. Him. Yeah. I actually would have liked, cause it just seems like, all right, he turned his life around. Um, and he's a pretty good guy now. Which is like, okay, I mean, that's fine. Like, I, I guess... It happens. Sure. It happens, I Age suppose. Age mellows you out. Yeah, it's not like... I mean, obviously, like, with Johnny's story, like, you get to know Johnny pretty well. We we don't know shit about Chosen now, and we it, we don't know that much more than we did before, but, eh, I don't know. He seems like a good guy, I guess, and, uh... He buried the hatchet with Chosen. Yeah, I, I have my closure with Chosen. But then, see, the, me, uh, the uh, Okinawa plot is not quite over, because, uh... Daniel goes back to, to Tomi Village to say goodbye to Kumiko, um, and I was fearing like some another horrible like pseudo romantic interaction between them. But luckily, Kumiko brought her own third wheel there. Um, yeah, Kumiko's the, smart. Like yeah, that. the girl whose name I can't remember. I'm calling her Typhoon Child. Typhoon Child. Um, she is a. I mean, she's all grown up. She's an adult lady, but like. She apparently met Daniel as a child when Daniel saved her during Karate Kid 2. Watch it, guys. Um, Typhoon Child. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I think her name is Yuna, but we're calling her Typhoon Child because I feel like we're not going to see her anymore. Mm -hmm. But she's extremely grateful to Daniel for his act of kindness three years ago, which is fine. Honestly, it's a good life insurance policy. Just start saving people's lives. You never never know know. when they'll grow up to be important because, of course... Yeah, you never know how high... uh, (laughs) They'll end up in the dealership game. Yeah, Typhoon Child, of course, uh, is a like senior vice president for Diona Auto, and you know that the whole car dealership. Plot. Yeah, that whole thing that we had forgotten. Yeah, because it's so exciting. Um, and you know, obviously, because she's a higher up, and Daniel saves her life. That uh, weird uh, fatwa that Diona had against Larusso Auto dealerships is probably is presumably going to be lifted, which I'm cool. I'm glad, but I'm also just like. Why did you guys impose it in the first place? I assumed that they imposed it in the first place because Chosen or somebody was like had a grudge against Daniel and was working there. But also, no, they this, just decided to. If Tornado Child has the power to kind of lift these, yeah, like embargoes on Larusso Auto, wouldn't she have seen the name and be like, maybe? And I bet she's too high up to like know about like this idiot. God, like, six. see, that's the thing. I bet she was too high up to know that Diona was going to stop like. uh distributing cars to like three LA dealerships but that makes me think that like Diona in general is too high up for this nonsense they're yeah. like but anyways I think that's it he gets back I do you think he's called Amanda in this entire time I feel like he hasn't how much how long was this day tour of Okinawa with Chosen like yeah seriously where does Amanda think he is now Okinawa is not near Japan Shit. he took quite the detour um and what would he have done if this oh there was there was hour... one thing I wanted to mention that, you know, Grant Daniel looks, like, so grateful. And Kumiko turns to him, and it's like, it's like my aunt always said, you put good out into this world, and it comes back to you. And I thought that was interesting, because up until now, the theme of this season has been the opposite. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, exactly. sometimes you do good things, you try to do the right thing, and it comes back to bite you in the ass, right? So Daniel has never experienced that lesson. Actually, every other character has. But he's had this, like... I mean, apart from, I guess, Robbie running away and that kind of thing. But I don't know that he's experienced it the same way that Johnny has. Or, or yeah, people. everybody really, yeah. like, has this experience, this thing where they're trying to do something and it just, like, it, it like blows up in their face. 
but Daniel like lives in this like beautiful plot where it's just like, nope, I helped a child and that child grew up to be the exact person I needed to help me when I grew up. That's kind of nuts. I mean, maybe maybe the last episode of the series is where they show that Miyagi is his guardian angel because you can't explain like how lucky he gets when he's just actively blowing up his life at every turn. Right, he makes such terrible decisions. Um, shall we talk about the other half of the Larusos? Yeah, let's. Okay, so while Daniel's off on his pleasure cruise of Okinawa, um, um, we've got uh, trouble brewing at uh, at Casa Larusso. Um, Sam has decided, like, well, she's, like, running a little karate dojo in their backyard, you know, because she's decided they got to be ready for the Cobra Kais. And, like, I was kind of excited because, like, there's, this is Darth Sam, you know, like, this seems like a more of a strike first Sam. Um, Amanda is, is not pleased to see this, uh, but that leads to, like, oh, my God. The revelation, we, we maybe 30 seconds elapsed when we realized that the child standing next to Amanda was, in fact, Anthony. It's Anthony! We did not recognize him because Anthony's he looks back. completely different. I mean, Anthony was busy going through puberty, and he is emerged. It's actually shocking. Yeah. I actually thought it was a different actor, yeah. but yeah, Anthony's back. It wasn't until he started mouthing off to Sam, I was like, oh, still Anthony. Yeah, okay. he's still Anthony. And, like, it's funny because he keeps mouthing off to Sam, and neither Sam or Amanda, like, even acknowledge that he said anything, which That's is true. great. And it's fine because um, Amanda... I feel bad for her. I mean, I always feel bad for her, kind of. But, you know, Sam has given her... She's mouthing off, and she's like, you haven't been paying attention. And I'm like, bitch, Amanda's been running this car dealership basically on her yep. own. And they have to make the money to send Anthony away to computer camp for, like, 9 to 12 months. Right? That That's not going cheap. I mean... Come on. Keeping your unloved child in various camps costs money. And Amanda's been working on it. You know, I sympathize with her. And I mean, Anthony does seem obnoxious, <laughs> as does Sam. Um, but, like, it it's interesting um, in that, like, I was kind of like, whoa, is Sam getting a personality? Is that, is that what's happening at long last? Like, it's not a pleasant personality, but it's something, right? A darker shade of boring. Maybe. I mean, of course, like, uh, the, the flip side of this rivalry is you've got the Cobra Kai's just being, like... God, they're so lame, man. They're, like, at an arcade, and they're, like, stealing tickets. And then they go to, the uh, like, the place where you claim prizes at the arcade with their stolen tickets. And, it, like, who should it be? But Yeah, I mean, if you're um, getting up to shenanigans at golf and stuff, right? come on now. It's weird, because actually, I mean, we have no love for Miyagi-Do, but it's like, Sam is the mafia don, right? Because she's, she's the daughter of Daniel. And she's just, like, rallying the troops to go invade this laser tag place. Where, where uh, they've, not only have they stolen tickets, they, like, stole a bunch of stuffed animals from the prize counter uh, that, ah, shit, Chris, one of the one of the Miyagi-Do guys works at. And, you know, that's when he texts her and is like, they're invading my workspace, which is just, no, oh, okay, fine. But I'm honestly just like, God, you're not even, like, good bullies, Cobra Kai. You fucking losers. Well, maybe that's that's what kind you... of the point, actually, because when we get to Hawk's kind of disturbing turn, maybe, like, the darkest Hawk has ever been, he... So, so we talk about the fight. We have to talk about the fight, yeah. yeah. So, so they're, they're holed up in the laser tag... Uh, what do you call a laser tag space? Laser tag arena? Sure. They're there. They're in the arena, like, I don't know, kicking stuffed animals. And you know what? I'm, like, saying that, like, they're so lame. But, like, actually, like, these are moments that are so realistically high school boys that and I was just, just like, And that's just sad. Sure. It's like you're in the suburbs and 
I don't know, where do we hang out? Probably like our We used to go to the bowling cra- alley. Yeah, yeah, the lens crafters, right. whatever. whatever. There's nowhere to hang out. Um, and, yeah, so actually, like, yeah, this all rings very true. But, of course, like, Sam has, as, as the dawn of Miyagi-Do, has rallied the troops to go confront the Cobra Kais. And, like, what she says is, like, okay, there's four of them. There's five of us. I like our odds. And again, I like this Sam. I like this strike first Sam. Okay. Yeah, she has a little bit of agency. The thing is, it's like, you got to think about which four you have, or sorry, which five you have. Because I don't know if they said Dimitri suddenly got good at karate. He's always been, like, he learned how to do one thing. Right. And like, I thought that was really nice and realistic that he's not like some kind of black belt now. He was just like, he it's learned how to any... do a thing and he's better better at defensive moves, right? Like, that's... Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they actually realize that Cobra Kai actually does karate training and, and Miyagi-Do was just like fucking around in a meat freezer. Oh, and, like, oh. I'm sorry, but oh. I, I have like... I don't want to get into this nature versus nurture oh thing again, God. but it's like to the extent that anyone has like karate moves, it's either like they're naturally athletic and like learned something from Daniel despite himself but I mean on the whole the group of students isn't really impressing I mean me. to be fair uh, god why are you always forcing me to take Miyagi-Do's hey, side hey I defended Robbie in the last That's episode true. how do you think I feel I know it's it, right is wrong black is white who knows what's going on but like mixed up world I know but Miyagi-Do to be fair to them they're doing fine they're doing good, you know, and they're in this good fight. And then, like, Tori and a couple of other Cobra Kais, again, people I've never seen in my life, yeah, show up as reinforcements. I'm really glad to see Tori. I missed her. She brings a certain energy to it. And uh, she says the same thing, like, Sam. Like, it's just, like, terrifying. Samantha LaRusso, where are you? Yeah, and Sam starts... She she starts flashing back to that fight, which, you know, as I recall, is was actually a very scary fight. Tori was legitimately frightening in that fight and had, like brass knuckles like sharp ones in Sam's face and I thought this was interesting because we like had this this picture of Sam leading the troops and stuff but as soon as Tori gets there she's scared and she's like hiding and she's like sort of like having a panic attack um and then you know during like at that moment like they've got Dimitri on the ground and Hawk has his arm and is like bending it back and he's begging for help he wants Sam to help him and she's like she can see him scene yeah and oh my god and then there's this awful awful thing where dimitri like calls him eli and is like eli please stop please it's me and tori's just like do it do it and yeah tori is fully crossed over to the dark side um yeah after like our episode of like tori nuance it was a little bit like why do you need to break his arm yeah i mean it's also because it's like if she was getting back into the fold to appease Crease and make sure that she has, like, you know, to keep her end of the deal or whatever. Um, that's fine. But they're not at the dojo. Like, they're they're doing their own thing. Like, she can just go back to her regular Tory life. She doesn't have to participate in this. Right. You know? It's weird. Because it's like, you kind of learned what taking it too far could get you. Like, that, that whole school fight kind of ruined your life for a bit. Right? And so, like, I wouldn't take that for granted. And then, like... Oh, God. So we do get that moment where Hawk, like, I, I thought he broke Dimitri's arm. Maybe he dislocates it. I don't know. I It's awful. Tell. You hear the sound, and he's sobbing. And then you do have this moment where, like, like you know, Tori calls him a pussy, and they all walk away. And, like, Hawk looks, like, incredibly disturbed. Uh, but, you know, he did just break his ex-friend's arm, so I don't know how much that counts for. But I mean, I think this is, like, the, the point of you know, the redemption arc of Hawk. He has to go 
he has to go hit rock bottom. He has to cross that line, yeah. Yeah. And until then, it was it was very much like this group versus that group, but like you know, in that moment, I think it was like his friends at Cobra Kai or whatever you're calling them walked away a little bit, and he looked back at Dimitri, and it was just the two of them, right? And it's like, oh, you have to actually deal with this ex-friend of yours. And, and he's on the ground sobbing. And like he's, yeah. and you hear that snap. And it's just like, you know, I, I was like, I'm, I'm trying to think about how I feel about all of this and processing it right now. And it's like, on the one hand, like, I'm like, oh, man, that's far to go. But like, I do think that like, to go from like, I don't know, stealing stuffed animals to like dislocating somebody's shoulder, breaking their arm or whatever. But like, I do feel like that's not necessarily an unrealistic depiction of teenagers, do you know what I mean? And, like, or like teenage boys and how, like, shit gets, like, crazy and out of hand and stuff like that. What's weird is that, like, I thought the the karate fight at the school was kind of, like, them letting all of that aggression out and then realizing, oh, shit, like, our lives have changed forever. You know, Miguel's in the hospital. And mm-hmm. it's so weird that, like, none of that really resonates. Like, yeah, you get a kind of dart Sam and you get, like, aggression on the soccer field. But like this is, like, seems like a bridge too far. I'd also say that, I, I mean, I just want to say it. Uh, if you are a juvenile and you, like, attack another juvenile and dislocate their arm, like, there's a good chance you could go to juvie um, as you know, Robbie's in juvie. It's not a good, great place. It's like, they, did they understand that? That, like, yeah, these are actual I mean, crimes? Like, that's the thing. You're not going to have, like, I don't know. How many, how many things get reported to the police? Yeah, I know. But, like, I mean, I assume that, like, Dimitri's parents are kind of, like, they, like, helicopter parents of some sort. You'd think that they would call the police. But then I don't know if Dimitri would rat him out. Not because... I don't know. These kids already have way more freedoms than we ever did, so I just don't know where the line is anymore. <laughs> I guess so, but like, could I go to laser tag at night? I don't know. Um, um, but I do want to. I want to ask you what you think about that uh, that Sam moment when she like was paralyzed. I think it's with realistic. Fear. I think realistic, that yeah. yeah. I mean, if they had just abruptly said, "This is Darth Sam. This is just who she is now," and I, you know, it's nice to see her a little bit rebellious with a cause. Like she feels like she brought them in. I don't know. It's a it's like a relatable arc, I guess. It was a tough moment just to like, you know, Dimitri's on the ground and she's there and like it was interesting cuz like I wanted her to like surge up and like kick Tori's ass. And I'm like usually, you know, I'm not on team Sam usually, but I was just like you desperately want her to like shake off that fear and like girl power and all that. But I thought it was like yeah, it was a much more realistic depiction to take. It, Tori like, is terrifying. That. Tori is okay. terrifying. I would be terrified of her. Um, and the idea that Sam would have a flashback to like what was honestly like a terrifying fight at the sound of that girl's voice, I get it. It was really it realistic. Hasn't even and it hasn't been that was... long since the karate fight. So right. I don't know. Where do, where do you think Sam is going to go after this? Like She's got PTSD, obviously, and she realizes like she this is just escalating. Mm-hmm. You know, once Dimitri's arm is broken... Um, so that her scene kind of ends with her at the hospital, I think, waiting for Dimitri. Right, I yeah. think so. And Amanda's and, there, at first furious um, at Sam for getting into another karate fight, but then just kind of like, because Sam's like losing it. Um, and I like, again, you know what I said about like the juvie thing and everything, like there are actual consequences to committing crimes, like even if you're the juvenile, right? I like that Amanda is like always the the voice of reason and for once not just making like snarky comments in the background. She like goes to see Crease 
and like walks into the dojo and is like says in like no uncertain terms, "You're a sociopath. I will call the police." Which are like the magic words. So I was like, somebody's got to say that, right? Like, right? I don't know. Part of me is like, I kind of like this kind of fantastical arc where this town is this like karate zone where no rules apply and you know there are no there's no law enforcement telling you whether you can do karate goddamn it well it's always my favorite thing is like when you have this juxtaposition of that and like you know the real world where it's like yeah no what you think if people want to sit in on a boring procedural where they like they itemize the different karate violations in town you know like uh God like, my favorite moments in the show this? are, like, okay, do you remember, like, in the first season when, like, Daniel goes into, like, the karate board that, like, runs the tournament, and it's just, like, you need to, like, ban this man for for life, and they're, like, we can do that, I thought we just decided the color of the mats, you know, and it's, like, it's it's fun. So, I mean, this scene isn't exactly fun, but it's nice to see someone, like, bring that up, and Kreese yeah. is all, like, aren't you feisty? Kreese is into it, oh, okay? Yeah. Kreese has... <laughs> has an erection during this entire scene. <laughs> yeah. I also notice his, like, after-hours red tank top. <laughs> <laughs> So he owns something that's not just that military, that's like right. the green jacket. This is Crease's lounging tank top. Who, yeah, who's funding his lounge wardrobe? Cobra Kai, the dojo. Obviously, obviously, um, yeah. yeah. But, uh... It's a nice scene. They Amanda have, like, slaps him in the face. It's, a, uh, it's good. I feel like Amanda puts more fear into Crease than Daniel ever did. I mean, like, Amanda, again, is operating in the real world, a place that, like, Daniel I don't hasn't know. visited in a long Daniel time. Daniel has not visited there in a while. Crease never lived there. I mean, he might have lived there as a youth with his troubled background, but, like, he lives in this world now where he somehow is, like, a spy in Panama, and he's training a bunch of teenage commandos <laughs> for a war with what? The kids in the suburb, on the other side of the suburb? It's a very good yeah. transition to the scene with Robbie. Yeah. Um. So Robbie, when last we left Robbie, our hearts sort of bled, kind of, because... Guy's just getting beat up by a 40-year-old bully. <laughs> His dad has perhaps the flimsiest of excuses for not showing up for him and essentially accuses him of trying to murder his karate son. Um, so yeah, he's he's at a very low point and Kreese comes to see him because Kreese is like just got feelers out for vulnerable teens everywhere. Um, yeah, and he's, he's like a like a, a molester or something. Yeah, That's he's, weird. Um, so he starts with this like, dramatic tale of Johnny and his golden years and it's weird you can tell he's proud of Johnny and as his like star student but like Robbie's not impressed cool story try telling it to someone who gives a shit and I'm like oh Robbie sometimes yeah this sometimes is, you say just the right thing this is the most we've liked Robbie yeah perhaps seriously ever. perhaps ever and maybe that's all it took is for Robbie to turn to the dark side and fix that or, fucking hair I mean he did fix the fucking hair and he's got like a little bit of an interesting plot because like um you know, like, Crease is, like, creasing around, and, like, Robbie's like, I don't want a sensei. Please, please go He's crease somewhere else. He's sick of senseis, and that is the truest sentiment. Right? Senseis are all about, like, working out their issues Through by you. having students. Yeah, yeah, and he's just like, nope. But, like, Crease says one thing, which is, like, you know, I know that Miyagi-Do stuff is great in the tournament, but, you know, you might think striking first is a better idea in the real world. And then Crease creases his way out of the room. And I like I like that Robbie wasn't, didn't somehow become Crease's, like... Padawan or whatever you call a Sith. Not yet, anyway. Apprentice. Not yet, anyway. But, um, so anyways, that, like, the, we see Robbie with Robbie's juvie bully, who, I looked this up, 
He's 25 years old, Which the actor who plays him. Which is 10 years at least old, um, younger than what we thought he was. I honestly was just like, this kid looks like he's 40. Not kid. This man who is bullying Robbie looks like he's 40. He looks like on another show he could be Robbie's stepfather or like school counselor or <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, what's really interesting is that like, yeah, Robbie kind of crosses over, breaks bad, and he starts... He fights back, and he, like... Well, he doesn't he fight start, back. He starts the he fight. He starts the fight. He strikes first. Um, so, so he is taking a crease lesson. He's really. taking a crease lesson. Here's the thing, Nina. I don't know how I feel about this, because, you know, in that, in, like, the last episode where he gets his ass beat, I liked the fact that, like, yeah, no, Robbie knows karate, and he's no slouch and all that, but, like, you know, he's, like, one kid against three, like, big tough dudes right so you know unfortunately that sometimes the odds don't work out for him um in this fight he is still one dude against three tough dudes and he's kicking their asses and i'm kind of like show striking first is not some kind of like nuclear weapon like yeah, it doesn't but think about this i think it's showing a symmetry with season one where miguel i think it's like first or second episode he's he's sort of like trying to show his moves off in the skeleton costume. Right. And, and he gets his ass kicked. But then literally, like, three episodes later, he has that amazing um, cafeteria fight, and he's taking out, like, five people. So, I mean, we have to kind of acknowledge that karate... <laughs> karate skills in this show, like, are not... Um, right. It's like... We don't understand how it works, right? I know. It's like, why was his ass so easily beat... Like, it's not like, oh, it's because he was attacked as opposed to attacking. I mean, it's maybe, like, that's not how fights work. I like, don't know. Maybe in juvie, like, you have all this time on your hands and all you can do is work out and practice karate. I so guess. Maybe it's like, and, like, maybe they were just, like, because, like, he's doing flips and shit. It's a good fight. And eventually it just becomes a one-on-one -one fight between him and uh really old bully. It's um, also about psychological strength, right? Because, like, in the first and second episode, like, Robbie is not in a good place mentally. And he's, like, his dad just stood him up. And now he realizes, like, I'm done with all these senseis. I'm going to just stick out for myself. And yeah, it's maybe. not like he got suddenly better at karate, but he was, like, able to fight oh, for himself. Oh, so you think it was more like he was just felt, like, emotionally too beaten down to really defend yeah, exactly. himself? Maybe. Actually, you know what? I'll buy that. And there's a... The ending of this this whole thing with the, the old bully is actually nice because there's, like... You know, they're, they're fighting, you know, it's crazy, he's doing flips, and, like, they're going at it, and all the other juvie inmates are cheering them on, and then, of course, the guards come to, like, break them up and, ha and like, get them down on the ground. And there's this moment when, like, old bully and Robbie are looking at each other, and Robbie, like, smiles with bloody teeth, and, like, it's kind of, and it's not like a psycho smile, like, there's something about it that's just sort of, like, maybe, like... Maybe both of them are just kind of happy to get that energy off, you know? I guess. I Robbie know. is just tired. But what's also funny is, like, Remember season one, Robbie also had like two 40 year old friends. Right? He can't, he can't keep that energy away. That's just who he's attracted to. And yeah. So I mean, he just can't hang out with people his own age. Yeah. I think that's just who Robbie is. And so. like, I'm not, I'm not sure if he and old bully will be like fast friends, but like afterwards, like their last scene is like, uh, you know, uh, old bully is like, Hey, like, why didn't you say anything? I'm no snitch. And Robbie says, I'm not either. And then they just kind of look at each other and like nod, and there's like I guess a respect this is what between them. For friendship in juvie, perhaps. I mean, that's how we became friends. We kicked the shit out of each other, and then we <laughs> nodded at each other, and then we had a podcast. It was kind of like honked my nose once. <laughs> <laughs> oh, delicious! I threatened her um, death. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. But that is how friendships are built. I get it, and, or maybe they're not friends. But I do like that. 
you know, the cliched, I, I kind of expected the old bully to be like, I'm going to get you as soon as you're asleep. But like, actually, does this mean that there's some credence to that strike first thing? Because it feels like old bully finally respects Robbie. My dad taught me this lesson. So my dad, who grew up in the slums of Tamil Nadu here, he was like, he was bullied and he was like, yeah, sometimes you just got to, I get the feeling he did have to beat up his bully in order to get them to leave the slums. So mm. I'm just saying, I mean, that's like 60s era India. Perhaps there are some It was a Cobra Kai sort of play. But yes. no, I always liked that, like, uh, about what I liked about Cobra Kai is, like, some of the lessons, like, they don't sound right, but sometimes, like, some of this stuff is actually true. Like, sometimes you do strike well, first I mean, and it I works think out. Old Bully would have continued to harass him forever yeah. until he realized, I don't know. I mean, I think that guy's clearly a predator, and I think it's, like... You don't want to be friends with him, Robbie, okay? Like, yeah, and I, I don't... Right. got some issues. I don't know if that's where they're going, but it's just like, yeah, like, I like that... leave you alone. He's leaving you alone, and, like, this thing... Yeah, which is why I was so taken aback by that uh, moment in Japan when, like, you know, they'll put good out into the world and it comes back to you. Because, like, I feel like the show's a bit more subversive than that, you Kaliko know? Kaliko doesn't know what she's saying. She's yeah, right. just trying to get rid of John, or Daniel. Yeah, get on that plane. But anyways, uh, we've got one more plot, don't we? We have yes. Johnny and Miguel. We saved the best for last um, because every time these these characters just aren't together enough. I know. We had to wait five episodes for them to actually get back on track. So Miguel is out of the hospital. He's got a hippie masseuse and it's, named Brayden. This like starts off with like some of the cringiest Johnny material, you know, where like Johnny walks in and Brayden's like, you know, he's it's physical therapy. He's like moving around like uh, Miguel's leg and... Johnny's just kind of being a dick because he thinks physical therapy is namby pamby nonsense or whatever. It's just like he was in uh, the, the rehab facility. Yeah. Yeah. And like Miguel's mom pulls him aside and she is like so like out of a textbook, like gracious and calm, like where she's like, I want you to be part of Miguel's rehab because that's what he wants. But I am also not going to deny him a trained physical therapist. And if you disapprove, maybe you can see him later. I'm like, God damn, man. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I like it. And, all, and I also, also was just kind of like, are you some kind of like saint who's taken like 80 psychology classes? Christ. Um, she's they very all, reasonable. They make all the women kind of saint-like in the show. <laughs> Only Tori's allowed to be a badass. Right. I, I mean, I, I almost thought like, I, I Where's Carmen's dark side? Right. I don't have a problem with her, like, letting Johnny into her son's life, because it seems like her son really wants that, but it's like, I'm also like, her reaction to Johnny in the last season, where she's just like, stay the fuck away from my son, was more realistic, but whatever. Okay. You know? If it were you, would you have still kept that ban on, even if it... I wouldn't have kept the ban on, uh, but I... Yeah, because, like, I'd be like, well, my son, like, seems to really want to see you, and he's in a pretty low place right now. But I, it's still kind of, like, she's very, very gracious, all things considered. Like, yeah. incredibly so. Um, and, you know, Johnny's first few interactions with Miguel, like, oh, I was cringing so much because it's, like, he, like, ugh. He literally lights a fire under him. I think he's obsessed with getting Miguel back on his feet, and he's thinking of, like, you know, like, season one Johnny. Like, how did he get Miguel to be, like, a karate star? Well, like, he, like, did stuff like, you know, shoot him with baseballs and, like, throw him in a pool. Like, yeah. you know, and all this stuff that, like, you know, like, that crazy extreme Cobra Kai stuff. And, like, so, yeah, he literally lights him on fire. It's um, also dangerous because I think he really does want Miguel to get better. But it's also because Miguel getting better is also tied to his self-esteem. And so there's just, there's this desperation there. Yeah. And he can't get over it. So I think it's, like... He's clouded by that, and it's it. 
leading him to kind of insane things. Like right. That and then like, seen. you know, using this like uh, 80s like Playboy magazine on a that fishing I rod. I, I was like halfway liking it and halfway like when Miguel was like, I can see these things on my phone. I was like, yeah. yeah but that's the charm of their relationship. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's, but it like the whole thing just made me cringe over and over again. Cause one, this is like. I don't know, like, Johnny's a little bit more woke than this by now, but... Yeah, yeah. some of the writing choices were, I feel like, they don't let um, Johnny... They, they like, let him have a light side that, you know, sort of appeared in season one, but I don't know, some of the writing is just a little broad for me. Yeah, a little broad. It's like, I don't quite think he, he would say that. He'd say something else offensive, but not really like that. But also, like, yeah, so that... But also, like, you definitely get the sense where it's just, like... Oh, man, like, sometimes, like, you know, like, all of this is like, oh, yeah, if you're strong and if you really want it, like, you'll be able to walk again. And it's like, what if he can't? Like, me, you know, yeah. it's like Miguel's sort of like, I want it more than anything, and I can't. He wants to be the key to Miguel walking again, but, you know, in, in actuality, it's probably, like, a mix of physical therapy and blind luck and genetics and right. whatever else. And I'm like, I did not know where this was going, and I was, like, worried about this plot a lot. But then it resolves kind of wonderfully when, like, you know, um, uh, Johnny, like, sees Miguel's mom crying and, like, he goes out to talk to her and is like, don't worry, like, he'll walk again. And Carmen's like, you know, honestly, it would just be nice to, like, see him smile again. Yeah, that's a nice moment. And I think sometimes I know that they're kind of slowly pushing Carmen and and Johnny back together. But sometimes I wonder, it's like, what what do you guys talk about when you're not talking about yeah, right? Maybe we'll have Poor Miguel. Miguel. Yeah, like, like, I, you know, no. Talk about anything else. Just yeah. so we know you have something to fill your time. Like, once Miguel gets back on his feet, and I think this relationship is doomed. I mean, um, once Miguel goes off to college, they might be, like, oh, just yeah. too lonely without it's each other. Done. Um, But, yeah, like, so, uh, I don't really think they ever worked as a couple, but I like the, it's like this perfect thing where you're like, oh, yeah, like, maybe, like, the whole thing isn't, like, about, like, solving his walking problem maybe it's just like kind of being there for him and like you know and so he he solves that conundrum in like a really nice johnny fashion like yeah. i like that yeah it takes him to like a 80s-esque rock concert is it 80s-esque like, you knew who this it was it's a, i recognize the guy because i told you he's he's all over vh1 or whatever it's like nostalgia shows i don't actually like I don't know. I'm I'm ashamed of you. <laughs> you are an name. 80s nostalgia show. I think his name is D. D. Ryden Snyder. With, uh, um, Johnny gets him in by like uh, pretending that Miguel is dying, which is nice. That I was, love that oh, scene. So good. Um, and he has like a genuinely good time, and I like that. You know, they're showing this like weird friendship, but they're having just an awesome time, lighthearted time. Which lighthearted Miguel. He's been missing an action for right? a long time, and it's really good to see. And it's just like, yeah, like this is this is what he needed. He needed to go to like an '80s rock concert with his old as hell friend, um, who's a like a who brought beer along because you know yeah, Johnny's like the greatest old friend. Um, and then of course Miguel starts tapping his foot. That's honestly, to the music. if this ever happens to me and I become uh, sort of crippled from the waist down, that's how I want. <laughs> Right? <laughs> the healing five. power of rock. I, I don't care be... if it was stupid. I like that's the healing power of rock. Exactly. He's gonna remember that song for the rest of his life. Right? So you know, things are looking up for He's Miguel. gonna name his first child D Snyder. Oh god, that's yeah. a terrible name. But anyway, uh sorry, D Snyder's out there. Um yeah. but yeah, it's it's 
I really like the subplot. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't, I was like worried about it from the start, but it like, it resolves very nicely and uh, leads us into like our very last sort of revelation, I guess. Yes, is... we got a lot of kind of people on the internet sequences in this episode. A very brief Robbie on the internet, which Sam's is not Sam's emailing him, which is yeah, nice. Yeah, I um, guess, weirdly. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Johnny is also on the internet. He learned that he can plug in his computer and it'll God, start working I love again. that Dell. The Dell is now an artifact of the show. The Dell is a character. Yeah, it the is. The has seen Yeah, because most, most of the show, it's not been plugged in. He tried to pawn it away, but it's like a cursed Dell. It, it keeps stays appearing. With him. And, you know, Johnny was under the impression that because he threw his phone away, he no longer had a Facebook. So Miguel told him, like, you know, you can see that thing on your computer. Which, you know what? How would you know unless someone told you? Okay, That's fair true. enough. Yeah. Um, maybe he thought it was just an app. I get it. I feel like, yeah, I, I like tech-ignorant Johnny, I know. though. I, I kind of don't want him to... <laughs> I mean, he's learning. He learns like one new thing a season. In this episode, he learns he's going to become can, an IT nerd by season. God, I five. hope so. Uh, so yeah, in this episode, he learns that he can check Facebook on his computer, and oh my god, as we saw in the last episode, one the last Allie scene Mil of season Schwarber. two, one Ally Mill Schwarber like uh, accepted his friend request. He confirms it. He's on her page. And Allie is the kind of person who posts pictures of herself with like captions that say "feeling good." Yeah, it's one of those what? classic boomer, no offense to boomers, but classic posts where it's like, what are you saying, Allie? Who is it, this for? It kind of actually ruins the mystique of Allie, as we've talked about, because she's such a player. She's a heartbreaker. I would hey, rather... It's her, a good selfie. She's still such a player. She's hot, yes. Yeah. But she could have just like kept the allure up and just been like, I wanted to be like some emo quote or like nothing. Just a black frame. Ooh, that would be good. Or like in shadows or something artsy and kind of disturbing. But she's a boomer, so it's none of those yeah, things. Yeah, it's just going to be like live, laugh, love. And, and you know, whatever. Johnny's into it. Yeah, Johnny's into it. Um, he's got his game face on. Yeah. I'm excited uh, to see what he's going to do. I And I think, do you think Allie is divorced? Oh, man, Maybe. Because I don't see pictures of her and her husband on her Facebook page. That's true. That was a very, that was giving divorced energy. Yeah. I felt divorced energy. Yeah. She's feeling fantastic and divorced. And I feel like Allie, in some ways, is Johnny's chosen to tie it all together. Like, he's got unfinished business there, and he needs to resolve it with her. Whether or not that means they, like, get back together. So you think the mission of the show is saying, like, you can't actually, your, your past is integral to who you are, and, like... Is Allie Johnny's one true love, or is it just like you have to you have to resolve your past before you can move forward? I mean, is that the message of the show? Maybe because it's like I mean that is kind of, well I suppose that's what Johnny's arc is about in some ways. Oh wait, now you got to integrate your past and make peace with it, so you can move on to bigger and better things. So it's not like he's going to end up with Allie, but if he wants to kind of actually commit to Carmen or whoever else and he's got a sort of right because like several times in the show he's like he's alluded to the fact that like he like she never quite got over her he I would feel like that his anger at Daniel is like more about Allie than like any like the tournament or something you know like so yeah I think he's gotta like he's gotta like move past it and he's gotta do that and uh, you know so I'm I'm glad I'd be happy to see Allie back yeah um Okay, we covered a lot of ground. So how'd you rate this episode? God. The, ugh. Every time this kills me. I really like this episode. I'm going to give it um, four and a half. 
uh, ancient scrolls that Daniel can't read. Yeah. Oh man, I, I liked it too. Um, so I would like I would give it four and a half. Typhoon child children, nice. typhoon children. Oh, that sounds dark. Four and a half typhoon children. Oh, that's not good. Okay, Lotho took it to a dark place. Uh, Are you saying one of these typhoon children was split in half? By I had the typhoon, yeah. Okay. I stand by what I said. Fine. Fine. <sighs> Bodies on the floor. I know. Well, sure. well, guys, strike first. Strike hard. No mercy. No mercy.